You know, I keep thinking that if I could just pick the right music and the right year, I could stay there. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And I, I hope uh, you enjoyed our very um, uh, awkward conversation, uh, tonally back and forth, of uh, the last episode that we did, um, the uh, the choice of Caliban. And thanks, to, thank, thanks again to Richard for coming on for a very uh, well done episode of the Twilight Zone, but a very challenging one to talk about. So that's why we need to take a week off because it's like we need to get we want the holidays to be happy. We don't want to think about that. We went, ate some turkey, took some days off, slept on the couch, and now we're back. So I hope you guys had a good holiday, but I do hope you enjoyed the conversation that we had because I think it was quite good. Sometimes silly because what else do you do when something that's so dark other than, you know, make dumb jokes because otherwise it's terrible. Yeah, you got to lighten the mood a little bit here and there, <laughs> yeah. especially when you, when you have some heavy subject line like like that episode was. It's in. And it was a good episode. I, I don't get us wrong. I, it was it was something definitely worth talking about and definitely worth watching. But man, I am ready to move on from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I was just like, come on, convicts piano. Like don't don't fall on your keys. I guess that's a piano pun. But I'm uh-huh. like, but I was like, please don't be like you know. Just can we just give me something a little different? And, and we ended up getting something. I think it's more akin to um, in spirit to an original series episode. Uh, in a lot of ways, um, where but we'll get we'll get there in a minute. So yeah, everybody, welcome to uh, Strange Highways, where we talk about depressing things and then maybe other things. That's the whole tagline of the show. No, uh, we've been watching the Twilight Zone. Uh, watched the original series. Uh, we've been watching the '80s series. Now we're um, about the midway point of the second season. Think about that for a moment, Terry. It feels like we just started the season and we're almost halfway through it already, compared to season one, where uh, that took us approximately what five years to get through. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting how it all worked out. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, that's fun. I, I'm glad that we are blazing through this because I'm I'm excited to uh, you know get more Twilight Zone. Yeah, let's so, get more of it. Uh, so yeah, this is a season long storytelling. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, season two, episode six, the convicts piano, uh, the air date was December 11th, 1986. Uh, what I have for Dan date. So number one song was the next time I fall in love was by Peter Cetera and Amy Grant. Um, like you might remember Peter Cetera. Uh, he did, um, Oh, I think he was part of Chicago, right? I think he, he was, in, yeah, yeah, he yeah, was he in was, Chicago. He did, yeah. um, a lot of their most memorable songs. Actually. Yeah. And then he did like, what, like was the, the big love ballot from the karate kid part two. And that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Amy Grant at the time was a really successful uh, Christian pop singer that was trying to cross over. And she did have some mainstream success, but there was also people that were like, oh, you're going to go and sell out. And then she did and made money. So congratulations to Amy Grant. Um, number one film, The Golden Child with Eddie Murphy. Uh, oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. I love The Golden Child. I do, too. That movie is weird, but it's weird in a great way. Uh, and Eddie Murphy's actually like he kind of like the movie could have either been a slog like, but he adds just enough Eddie Murphiness to it, right? Like that just, it keeps it going. And then to find out that that was a project that um, they approached John Carpenter to direct and he passed on that and ended up making big trouble in little China. You could argue those movies would be, it would be a good double feature because they have that same, they both have that same type of vibe to it. Uh, what's yeah, going well, on? I could, de- I could definitely see him working, um, working that angle for his type of directing and that. Like, I mean, it is, 
is very close to being a horror film in itself too. I mean, yes. especially the last 10 minutes of that film. Oh, for like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. It gets a, I mean, well, even the beginning, whatever, like, what was it? Uh, they find, uh, the one house that's like where the children were like sacrificed it or whatever. And then like, there's like blood in the oatmeal and all this. It gets, it, it does, it, it starts off like kind of harsh too, you know? Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, the, the golden child, pretty solid movie. If people have not seen it, uh, watch it. If you've not seen it recently, watch it. It, it holds up pretty well. Yeah. And it yeah. has one of the best rat songs in it too. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> uh, so December 14th, a couple of days after this aired the Rutan Rutan R U T A N Voyager, an experimental aircraft, um, was designed by Bert Rutan and piloted by Dick Rutan. I, I hope they're related. And Jenny Yeager begins its flight around the world from the Edwards air force base in the United States. I looked this thing up. Um, it's an interesting, like looking, um, plane, it, it looks like as a kid, I would probably would have loved this as a toy, but the goal was to fly around the world without stopping or refueling. And it actually did succeed in doing that. Uh, it, it launched in uh, December 14th and it, it ended its uh, flight nine days, three minutes and 44 seconds later on December 23rd by actually uh, circling the entire earth without like, without stopping. So, or refueling. That's pretty cool. That is pretty sweet. Yeah. So, so that's what I got for um, for a day and date. Um, so uh, let's get into who did what here. Okay, yeah. So uh, we got our director as uh, Thomas J. Wright. Uh, we had just recently talked about him during Toys of the Ca- uh, Caliban. So yeah, the, yeah. Uh, only two episodes that he uh, directed, and this was the second one. Yeah, that's it. So go back and listen to that conversation. Clearly uh, a man that can, can work in a couple different um, uh, moods. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> uh, but interesting that we got back to back episodes with him and that's all we're going to get of him in terms of the output. So, yeah. yeah. And then, so, uh, yeah, we have our, uh, we have two writing credits here. Our story is credited towards, uh, James Crocker. Uh, this is the last of five, uh, segments that he had written. And the, uh, the last that we have more recently talked about was shadows play shadow play the mm-hmm. remake of that. So, but yeah, uh, and then our teleplay is uh, Patrice. Uh, Mes- I, Messina. I, I, I think it's Messina. Messina. Yeah. yeah. So this is uh, the second of two uh, that uh, she participated on. And uh, that was, the, the other one was Grace Note. Mm-hmm. So right. a little bit more recent. Actually, a, as far as um, when those both aired, uh, Shadow Play and Grace Note were aired together. So, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's get into our actors here. Yeah, our cast is a little bit more lengthy here, but uh, we'll get through it as quickly as possible. But uh, yeah, Joe Penny is our lead here as uh, Ricky Frost. He was in Bloody uh, Bloody Birthday. So yeah, there's some horror stuff there. Um, 56 episodes of Riptide. I'm not quite sure what this is, but uh, you got to yeah. like, look at like, look up images from the show. It was on NBC. It was around the same time. Like Magnum PI was on, like you had these kind of like, like, like the A team, like these buddy, buddy, like adventure type shows. I, uh, and hmm. uh, it was three guys. And I think there was a robot, also a sidekick, a robot sidekick on the show. And there was also this really cool looking helicopter. At least I remember as being a cool looking helicopter as a kid that had like a gorilla face painted on the front of it. <laughs> Um, the, the cover that, that they advertise on, at least on uh, IMDb, just looks like three yuppies in a boat. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah. this is a cop show? Kind of. Like, but I'm pretty sure there was a robot in there as well. Because um, I think as a kid, I was probably more interested in the robot. Oh, and I look at the paint job on the helicopter. It is actually terrifying now. I don't know why I thought that was cool. It looks like it's like a, like a it looks like it's just screaming. I don't like that at all. That's not great. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Did, did, <laughs> yeah, did you, did you see the helicopter? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. on the cover actually. Oh, but yeah, there's yeah. a guy dressed up as a cheeseburger. That's cool. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Wait here. Uh, what was it? Um, there are some former Vietnam War Academy buddies who decided to open up Pier Fifty Six Detective Agency. So yeah, it is the detective uh, like cop show. Um, yeah, and then. The, they called the helicopter, which was a Sikorsky, Sikorsky uh, S58T, the Screaming Mimi. Um, so, yeah, there was also a cool speedboat, evidently, and a Corvette. Yeah, they basically are like, they took all of the 80s and just like, we're just going to smash all this together. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a robot in this, but again, I've been wrong before. Um, it's like whoever was the showrunner is like, I have all these things in my garage. 
over here in Port Clinton. Can we just use those? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the Fall Guy's getting a movie coming out in a few months that looks awesome. So why not do like a like a, a high budget update of uh, Riptide? Why not? Um, There's a new Fall Guy coming out. Yeah, if you've it has uh, Ryan Gosling, you should find that. That trailer is awesome. It looks like that movie's going to be just just a lot of fun. Oh, it's um, a movie update. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to it, uh, but yeah. So he was also Joe Penny, which by the way, he like he plays his character named Ricky Frost. You, if you would have told me that he his actor name was Ricky Frost and he played a character named Joe Penny in this episode, I would have believed you because these names feel like they're interchangeable for him. If you look at him on yeah. screen, you're like, yeah, that's a Ricky Frost, that's a Joe Penny, right? Um, he was also and Jake and the Fat Man that for that that series uh like the co-lead on that that also the movie from 1978 called death moon which i was like you have my attention at death moon here here's the synopsis a manager is sent to vacation by his doctor due to symptoms of stress he chooses hawaii because that's where his grandfather worked as a missionary he doesn't know that his grandpa and all male successors are cursed by the voodoo clan capital v every night he transforms into a werewolf and horribly slays young women i'm in that sounds pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the voodoo clan though. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I don't think like they're going to handle from- Hawaii and uh, rituals and black. I, I think there's a lot of um, probably not a lot of research done. And before this movie was made, but yeah, 78 death moon. Um, I don't know why it didn't win the Oscar, but I am interested. <laughs> well, yeah, we've, we've, we've went down some we, weird detours. Maybe we'll remember this one. Well, maybe we'll cover yeah, this like, in a detour. We'll cover death moon and death moon's it, all one word. I love it. I just, I don't know why it's just something about that. Like this feels like if I made up this and was making a joke, like this is the kind of thing I'd make up as a joke. And I'm like, Oh, it's real. I want to watch it. Yeah. If it's halfway as entertaining as devil's reign that I'm in. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, watch. We'll find out Urs Borgnine's in this as well. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. All right, who else do we got? But uh, yeah, Norman uh, Fell is our next here. Uh, he plays Eddie O'Hara. Uh, play, he played in The Graduate, uh, also in uh, the disaster film Airport 1975. But I think most people will recognize him from uh, a bunch of episodes of Three's Company, mm-hmm. Mr. Roper. And then he was also in the spinoff, The Ropers, right? Because people loved his character yep. so much. He was also in, uh, so Terry, you know, you being the horror fan, you should know, a Chud too, Bud the Chud. Um, oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot to list that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was in uh, the '63 episode of uh, Alfred Hitchcock Hour. I want to mention that, and then also there's a film from 1991 called The Boneyard, which I did oh, not like. The Boneyard. Yeah, um, but <laughs> my wife liked a great deal. Uh, we have friends that like this film. Uh, it is it's a really low budget horror film that has Norman Fell and a number. I think Phyllis Diller's in it as well. It's yeah. a number yeah. of older like like variety or sitcom stars playing in this film. And at one point there is a large mutant poodle monster in it. Um, and also has kind of, um, like there's an in theme song that, that does not match the tone of the movie whatsoever. But yeah, if you want to watch something that you'll, you'll watch and be like, that's a movie, the boneyard. Did you did you cover that on your on your other show? I did uh, years ago <laughs> on Invasion of the Podcast. I used to do this uh, this bit called um, uh, the Netflix Wheel of Death, where <laughs> I would uh, have somebody pick six movies that I knew that I had zero interest in watching, uh, but then I'd have to watch one of them and report back. That was the one I landed on for that particular Wheel of Death. I recently did one a couple months ago with Richard, who was on the last episode of this show picked a, a couple of movies and I ended up watching that Christian musical uh, uh, oh, yeah. thing called what was it a week away or whatever. Dear Lord. So yeah, that's why I don't do the wheel of death that much. Cause it takes a lot out of me, but yeah, I saw the boneyard because of that. You're charging up still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, like I want, it's like, I wonder what, what, where things started going wrong in 2023. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, but right. continue. But please. yeah, next, uh, next cast member here is uh, played by Tom O'Brien. I uh, plays Mick, Mickey, Shaughnessy. It's just Shaughnessy. Yeah. Um, I've heard the name as O'Shaughnessy before, but just Shaughnessy I've never heard before, so that's interesting. But yeah, he was in The Astronaut's Wife and a couple episodes of The X-Files. That's pretty much all I knew. A lot of TV work. There was something called Call to Glory that was like 23 episodes. It looks like this is one of those guys that also we get attached to things, but it was always, always kind of back in the wrong horse. He has a good look about him, you know, but... Yeah, I don't really know. Yeah, right especially there. in this episode, I actually yeah. I think it's a 
pretty thought provoking his character. But mm-hmm. yeah, so our next here we have a uh, John Hancock plays Doctor Puckett. Uh, he was in Airplane Two, and he was also in some uh, uh, episodes of Star Trek: uh, The Next Generation. So. Yeah, I just um, I, this was IMD, I, IMDb trivia. It's like often played police detectives, police lieutenants, ministers, judges, or high-ranking military officers. So yeah, if you want somebody that, like, that looks a little bit imposing and has uh, a presence, you go get Johnny Hancock. There you go. But uh, next here we have uh, Sam Scarber. Uh, plays Max. He was in Over the Top. Love it. Uh, probably the thing I recognize him from, though, he was in Shocker. He was the uh, head coach. Oh, it's been years since I've seen Shocker. I need to go back to watch that movie. I, as much as a lot of people shit on that movie, I do enjoy me some Shocker. I just I, the soundtrack, the movie, the concept. I, is a ridiculous I love Mitch Pelagi as just an over unhinged bad guy. I, I just need to watch it again because of that. You know, I, oh. I love Mitch Pelagi. Um, it's, some of his one-liners in that film too are so good. <laughs> Finger looking good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but next we have uh, Kristen Kaufman uh, plays Ellen. Uh, she was in Back to the Future. That's pretty much the biggest role yeah. that I could bring up for her. Very short career. Uh, Anthony D. Longus. Longus. Yeah. Uh, plays Thompson. Uh, Masters of the Universe and also Roadhouse. I mean, two really oily, sweaty movies. Like. <laughs> They're almost the same film. They're almost the same um, film. Yeah. Uh, uh, no. So like he played the character of blade in mass universe, which I think was uh, like that, you know, you just mentioned over the top, like, yeah, there's all these canon connections. Uh, that one I think was made out of whole cloth for the movie. Cause he was, he's a stunt guy mainly. Um, and that's also in roadhouse. It did a lot of TV, uh, like and movie stunt work and also a lot of video game voices. Um, but yeah, I just, um, the fact that he was blade in that and blade was actually one of the henchmen that actually kind of had some speaking roles, uh, speaking parts in that movie. Um, yeah, Thompson, you know, this gentleman here that, uh, you know, he looks like a kind of guy that would, uh, belong in prison. Um, uh, we talk about him in a second. Yeah. So, uh, Burton Collins is next here, plays shorty, um, shows like night court and, uh, Remington steel. Uh, next is Raymond O'Keefe, uh, plays a guard. A couple episodes of NYPD Blue. Uh, Ezekiel Moss plays the first prisoner. He was in Death Wish 2. Um, James Mick McIntyre. Aymer? Mc- okay. Yeah, yeah I think I, McIntyre. Yeah. Uh, pl- uh, plays uh, the second prisoner. He was in Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Um, Chad Krensman. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. He plays Soldier. There's a soldier. Oh yeah. The young kid. All right. That's right. The doughboy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, only one other credit. Wasn't sure what it was, but yeah, only. Yeah. James McIntyre. I have yeah. him also in class 1999, which I think is, um, is that the one with the robot teachers? Um, that might be the one I'm thinking of, but there's the three robot substitute teachers that come in. Like they, they're, they're like, um, androids or cyborgs. Yeah. yeah. I remember that movie was like on Cinemax all the time. And I remember watching a lot as a kid thinking, this is pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's probably garbage, but I remember liking it. So. I still, to this point, have not seen that film, yeah. but I, I, I think it should be uh, nineteen nine class of nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I do want to see that at some point. I'm sure it's a lot. Got to be a lot of fun. That, but that, Return of the Living Dead two. I was like, look, that movie's so ridiculous. I was like, I had to bring it up because how often do we get to talk about that film? That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and then also Death Moon. So we got a lot of things to to, to get into uh, here. Um, Malcolm McDowell. Was in um, class nineteen ninety nine. Okay, no wonder I w- yeah, he classed up. The- Stacy Keach, come on, Pam Greer. Okay, need to revisit class nineteen ninety nine. All right, so yeah, that's our cast. Uh, who did what here for the convicts piano? So Terry, start us off. Where are we at? Okay, so we we meet uh, Ricky Frost. Ricky Frost is to the point, just kind of hanging by himself, practicing in the yard of a prison. Um, a piano, closing his eyes, practicing his uh, hand movements and that. Looks a little weird because, uh, you know, he's doing this amongst a bunch of other people, you know, playing football in the yard, playing cards in the yard. And he's just, you know, doing his thing, doesn't care about it. Like, he's just in his own little world. And then as he's doing that, all of a sudden, um, the football game kind of collides over the table and into him, knocking him off of his chair. And two of the guys that were in the game 
um, kind of get into a scuffle and one of them pulls a blade. Well, yeah. Cause the one, the, there's the one gentleman that just starts watching, uh, Ricky play, like basically playing air piano with his eyes closed on that bench. And he's looking at him like, he's looking at him kind of weird. And that's whenever the football game pushes over and shoves that guy who happens to be uh, African American, the one being shoved into the fence. Um, and then the gentleman who did the tumbling, that's Thompson, who is, you know, um, you know, pretty much white supremacist Nazi type guy. Um, you can just pick up the clues, goes to try to um, rough that guy up and actually tries to fight him and, and pulls a knife on that guy. So you get the idea that it was like it was kind of preplanned just to purposely get in the face of this um, this black guy. And Joe happens to be. Um, Oh, sorry, Ricky <laughs> happens to be there and see this, sees this is going on. And he's like, he's not going to stand for it. He's not going to stand idly by while somebody is like, did nothing wrong, has a knife pulled on him. Right. So we get the idea. This is the save the cat moment where he stands in between the guy we now know is Thompson and the other guy. And that, and the gentleman uh, goes to Thompson goes to use the knife and ends up cutting um, Ricky, which I thought he got stabbed in the chest. I don't know if you thought that as well. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It seemed like it was implied because when he raised his hand off of his like lower chest area, there was a, a like a six inch blot of blood there. So it looked like maybe he was stabbed in the chest. Yeah, and we got come to find out it was just his hand was cut and he pressed it against his chest. I also forgot to mention the other aside from the people playing the football game, there was the other two gang members, the one that's the really tall guy. And then the other guy that's not tall at all. Like he's, I think just a little taller than Tom Cruise, but he's juggling in the yard. Like it was just a very confusing moment for me. Right. It's like, Hey, we're part of this tough gang. What do you do? Oh, I could reach the high shelf. What do you do? I can juggle. You know, what do you do? I practice air piano. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, like, I, I heard there's somebody over in D Block that does a pretty mean air guitar. We're thinking about making a band. Like, okay, that's fine. Whatever. Um, I, I also thought it was interesting that there's about like six feet of concrete, and that's where they're playing football. So it's like, <laughs> I. <laughs> it's it's a, it's arena rules is what it is. It's it, arena football rules. It's half the it's half the size. They're always in a scrib. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I yeah, like oh, like what you you have two downs to make five yards you know that's but no um so so yeah anyway so we get uh we get ricky uh talking to the doctor that he gets his hand sewn up and uh that's when we find out that he used to be a professional piano player right and also the thing is though the doctor's like you're not fitting in and i just that's interesting because the doctor um who's all he's also um an african-american gentleman and it's important to the conversation i'm not just like i'm not just like i'm gonna list all the races of the people this episode that's not the point but he's like, he's like, Ricky, you're not fitting in. He's like, you know, clearly you're not, you know, you're not fitting in with the white gang and you're not going to fit in with the black gang, even though you play like Ray Charles. Like he's, he's basically trying to say, you got to find it. You know, this is in this ecosystem. You got to find a place to be. And that's when, when, uh, when Ricky's like, yeah, he's like, I didn't, you know, I didn't kill was his girlfriend or whatever it was. And he's like, I'm, I'm innocent. And he's like, and even though I'm in here, I don't need to act like I belong here. I thought that was an interesting statement. And he also was like, it's like, also I'm not going to stand by. He's like, what do you want me to do? Stand by while somebody gets stabbed. And the doctor gets real quiet. Like basically saying, yeah, you probably should have. And I thought that was an interesting moment. Yeah. That, I mean, I love um, to watch uh, 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 movies about um, being in prison and, you know, films about like, you know, like Shawshank Redemption, my one of my favorite films of all time. I think that it is it's interesting to understand the dynamic of the characters and what the culture of what those characters have to be sometimes confronted with and then have to adapt to. I always think that that's a, a, an interesting thing because the world out here in versus the world of a, like a prison system is vastly different in how you have to adjust to it. And I just I think that's what, you know, the doctor is trying to tell him, like, Dude, everything that you knew from that life before, you're going to have to start figuring out how to, you know, adjust, you know, so you might have been a good person then, but being a good person in here could be quite vastly different from what that is. You know? Yeah. And that's when the doctor's like, I guess you'll be seeing, I'll be seeing a lot of you. <laughs> He's like, guess so. So question to you, this is the, okay. If I have one, one nitpick about this episode, um, yeah, they're in prison. Does anybody have to stay in their cell? Or is it just like a day prison where you get to wander around freely all over the grounds? 
I don't know how that works. Um, if you're in a prison for murder and probably premeditated murder too, c- given the fact that it's like his ex-girlfriend and everything, I, I can't imagine it being one of those things where you could just have free reign of the prison. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, like, and he hasn't been there that long. So it's like, you know, it's like if somebody like, all right, again, going back to something like Shawshank Redemption, Red has responsibilities that, you know, a character like him can have because he's been there so long and he's not really a threat anymore. Yeah. Like when we meet Eddie, Eddie's that equivalent, right? That's Eddie O'Hara when we get to him. In a exactly. Second. Uh, so I understand that where it's like, you're a lifer, you've been here like, you know, however many times over in, in terms of like the typical, you know, lifespan of a, of a person in, a, in prison. I get that. But it's like, it just seems like, yeah, I can understand letting people out in the yard. Like I get that. Like I've seen, you know, I've seen movies. I, I understand that. Like they they do get outside, and then they should, right? But it's mm-hmm. like, but like, um, like Ricky, this I don't know. Like he just gets to just wander around freely, like everybody does. Like Thompson and his crew with uh, Tall Man the Juggler. Clearly, he gets to wander around freely. Well, even though he actively stabs somebody. It's just very yeah, confusing Tom, to me. Thompson and the sisters can go wherever the hell. And, they and the want, sisters, and yes, yes. <laughs> Um, so, okay guys, it's the honor system. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Uh, so then, uh, we get, uh, we get Ricky being put on like this, like this work detail, like for like low impact, but basically because like his hands cut and that's when he meets Eddie O'Hara. Uh, and then Eddie, you know, you can tell like he's, you know, like we mentioned like red, like from Shawshank, he's that guy, he's the old guy. He, he shoots you straight, but also it's like, he's learned to live in this environment, but he's not a bad guy but he will make the hard decision if he has to. And uh, credit to um, Norman fell. He actually like, he, I think he carries himself quite well in this segment or in this episode. Yeah, for sure. I, I think he uh, fulfills the character uh, very, very like um, charismatically too. Like I, you know, when he tells him the story and tells him about, you know, the things that he had to deal with to get to that point too. And like trying to give him some wisdom too. Yeah. I mean, cause I mean, Ricky does have to learn when you're, when you're in the clink, you do, you have to figure it out, you know? Yeah. So we find out like, um, that the, 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 the work that's supposed to be done is setting up chairs and like the chapel. Cause the Bishop's going to come and you get the idea. It's like, he's just going to go there and just like say something. And it basically just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like almost like a photo op. That's the vibe I get from the way Eddie says it. But he's like, Hey, he's like, you're a piano player. He's like, you know, like if I got you a piano in there, could you like, could you play like, you know, something going on? And, and Ricky's like, yeah, I mean, where are you going to find a piano here? And then Eddie's like, well, I'm a man that can get things. He doesn't say that. But, um, you know, he, he, he takes them to, I, it was always confusing to me. Is it like, like to a different part of the prison? That's like to storage. Is it like upstairs? Is it next door? It just, I can't, I never really understood where that room was, but it's just full of objects and uh, objects and an upright piano and a rock hammer, you know, the hammer that I'm kidding, not, not a rock hammer, but and a certain poster, a certain um, poster. Yeah. <laughs> it's a reading Hayworth poster covering the piano. Um, no, so he he shows the piano to Ricky, and it's like this thing's been sitting there for like fifty years, right? I, I, it just it it shouldn't it shouldn't play at all, honestly. I mean, it, I mean the thing's kind of out of tune, but it's like I would think that after that that years just being sitting there with nothing happening, I'm surprised this thing still functions. And, and but it it seems to function somewhat okay, right? Um, I, I it's the conceit of the show, right? Uh, I just you know whatever. Anyway. You would think that the thing well, was not I, kept I mean, in like a, a you know humidity controlled place. I'm I'm sure that thing would have fallen apart. You touch it. Yeah, I mean, because it, it you know especially if it's being delivered to a prison, I'm sure the the you know the care wasn't put into it to make sure that it was get, <laughs> get, getting there. You yeah. know, and like oh don't don't worry, we're gonna put it in tune as well for you, sir. You know, right? Yeah. So then, uh, what was it? Um, like we get Eddie leaving, and then and then Ricky again left to his own devices, no supervision. Uh, ends up opening uh, the piano bench and finding uh, some sheet music from a couple of different, like, you know, times. And he's like, well, I'll just go ahead and see if I can make this work. And he opens up, uh, what was it? The first one is 1899. It's a Scott Joplin song. And, um, he, but also before uh, Eddie leaves, he mentions that this piano uh, was sent there by Mickey O'Shaughnessy, who 
um, was a well-known mobster at the time, but he didn't have a specific territory, but he controlled entertainment. And Eddie yeah. mentions that they were friends and that Shaughnessy was a big fan of the piano and actually sent this to him before he disappeared, which is something I didn't pick up on that line until the second time through. Um, and, and the song that you're uh, thinking of is Maple Leaf Rag. Yes, yes I, you know uh, Scott Joplin. Yeah, so so then as um, we get we get uh, Ricky starting to play, and then you know he starts to play the music, and it starts to speed up because he's getting into the groove, and then this light flashes over him, right, and then all of a sudden he's in like a grandstand, and he's all dressed up, and there's a big brass band behind him, and um, you know it's 1899, and there's people having fun as much fun as you could have in 1899. Yeah. You have live music. That's cool. And then you have people that can't dance worth a lick. I don't know if you noticed that, like <laughs> nobody it's like, it's just all these white people not like can't dance. And then one of them's excited cause they have a sparkler. I'm like, is this is what passes for entertainment in 1899? No wonder that people were so like, like they're just disgruntled and bored and would fight all the time. They needed something right. Um, clearly it wasn't dancing. No, I think, well, you know, it, maybe they just never heard good music before. I don't know. <laughs> right. Like, how do you respond to this? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this isn't church and music. Uh, yeah. This doesn't make me angry. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it's like, it's like Steve Martin and the jerk where he just sees his toe start tapping. He's like, I don't know what this is, but I like it or whatever. <laughs> uh, so then a young lady goes to reach and hand him a, a sparkler. Right. And then as he reaches out for it, Mickey stops, not Mickey, sorry, Ricky stops playing. And then he just disappears and ends up back and the present. He's like, Oh, well that was weird. Right. Um, so then, uh, we get, uh, what was it? Um, after that, we have them back out in the yard and that's when Thompson and tall man and the juggler tries to get Ricky to, uh, play football, quote unquote, and tries to egg him on. And I like the line of like, I'm not going to play. It's like, why bad hand? <laughs> Cause it's like, you stabbed me. I'm good. Right. Yeah, like, and so, yeah. And so, um, of course, Eddie comes over and confronts, uh, Luke, Lex Luthor and says, Hey, <laughs> you know, it's that it, leave him alone. It's cool. Like, Let's go hang out somewhere else. He breaks it up. So Eddie saves his ass. And it's mostly because of the relationship that Ricky and Eddie are already starting to have here that that happened. Otherwise, Eddie probably would have just let him get his ass kicked, you know? Well, yeah, because he's trying to explain to him, like, you know, like, you know, um, I, I live by the 11th commandment. It's like, you know, uh, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, but make sure you do it first indecisive or whatever he says. It's like, yeah, that's fair. Basically like, I'm not going to look for trouble, but if you're going to start sniffing around, I'm going to end it before it begins. And he's basically telling like Ricky, like that, that's how you got to be in here. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, then we also find out that, um, he was framed for, uh, by his friend Mickey for killing another man and the, who he was in love with the same girl as Mickey. So, so that's interesting. Right. <laughs> yeah. So at that point, what was it? Um, we get, uh, we get Ricky going back to the piano again, wanders freely about the prison without consequence. He finds another uh, piece of music. It's over there by in 1917 starts playing. And also he ends up in a place called the shamrock club, which is what, uh, Eddie told, uh, Ricky, that was the club that Mickey owned and ran was the shamrock club. So he's there in 1917, everybody there, it, you know, it's all, uh, world war one soldiers, you know, like, uh, and people like, again, uh, it, no sense of rhythm with all these people in this room, but they're all drinking, having fun. And that's when he starts talking to the soldier that comes up to him and he's trying to like, get a little bit more information to kind of figure out like, like what's going on and trying to have like a tangible connection to kind of see how far he can push this while he plays the piano. And that's when the soldier buys him a beer. Uh, and then as he goes to drink the beer, he's playing with one hand, but then stops. And then he's back, back in the present again. But before well, that, though, he's, is, yeah, go ahead. Yes. It, when he, uh, looks over to where the beer is about to be placed, he sees that there is a matchbook, a matchbook. So he grabs the matchbook really quick and puts it into his pocket. Yeah. So then when he comes back to the present, he actually has a matchbook from the Shamrock Club, right? So then that's when he goes gets his stitches taken out by the doctor. And he that's like he tells the doctor everything that's going on. The doctor's like, huh. And he's like, You don't believe me. He's like, basically, like, 
well, I mean, whatever. Like, you know, he's just like, I would, I, he's probably like, you know, I've been a prison doctor for a number of years. Um, this isn't the craziest thing that's been told to me probably. Right. Um, yeah. He's probably thinking he thinks I'm the wrong kind of doctor. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, at that point, what was it? There's the line, um, he, uh, Ricky believes he tells that he tells the doctor which play at the beginning here. Like if I could just find the right piece of music from the right time, I could probably stay there. And that's when the doctor's like, are you going somewhere? And I like how Joe Penny says the line of like, I don't know. I hope so. As he wanders out, that's actually a pretty good, like I kind of, he kind of has like, he does have charm to him. You can't deny it. Like he kind of has like that small smirk, almost like a Bruce Willis type of vibe to him at this time. I kind of dig it. Yeah. Well, and you know, at the same point too, he's, he's living on borrowed time. You could he's starting to uh, find out as well. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, yeah. Cause, uh, cause yeah. The, the sisters are coming for him. So. <laughs> yeah. And he goes back to the piano and then as he's about to start playing again, that's when they find him. The, the, the trio is about to jump in and there's another shiv, but then the one guy's like, Oh, there's a guard coming. And they're like, you're, you're watch out. You're lucky. And I think Eddie also comes in to like right after, right. To see what was going on. And it was basically like, yeah, don't worry about, you know, um, them like they're fine you know other than they've threatened you actively three times in like three days right whatever or however long it takes for a hand to heal from being stabbed as deeply as it was we don't know but that's when ricky explains to eddie like hey this piano does something like put your hands on the piano i want to show you and eddie doesn't believe him um but then well, there, yeah. well, something that leads up to that point too uh, earlier conversation between him and eddie he was uh, Eddie was saying that he's like, where did you go? He's like, we were we were yeah. looking for you. So it's like, there's always there's uh, there's this assumption now too from Ricky's point of view that I'm actually leaving the prison when this happens too. Yeah, like which, my body is going too. It's not just my consciousness. My body is leaving as well. Yeah, which is fine. It's just it sets up. You know, there there is a little bit of a, a conundrum at the end, and we'll get there uh, in a minute. But yeah, but at least it shows like he's gone, right? And they couldn't find him. But then mm-hmm. he tries to tell Eddie what's going on and he shows him the matchbook and everything. He's like, yeah, he's like, what would you do if you could like, you know, if you could go back there or if you could see, you know, uh, like Mickey again, like, what would you do? And, you know, he's like, he, he's like, he's like, how much, like, how much would be worth it? He's like, I'd go like through a year through hell to, to do it. And he's like, basically, Ricky's like, I think we can do this. And he tries to convince Eddie to put his hands on the piano as Ricky starts playing uh, someone to watch over me from 1928. Eddie doesn't put his hands on the piano, but he watches Ricky vanish, which is not, which is good that, that the shot stayed long enough for him, for us to see that he saw that, that Ricky disappeared. So he now sees that, um, that Ricky was telling the truth. Um, so I do like, that's important to the story, but it's also just important to be like, Hey, somebody else actually seeing this too, even though there was that bit where they weren't finding Ricky. Now there's evidence as to why. Yeah. It's not just one dude. It's just like, everybody's going to assume is crazy. It's just like, now we have somebody to actually like, um, legitimize what happened here. So, so like, that's what we needed the doctor to walk by, like with either like a cigar in his mouth and see it happen and have it fall out or him just faint. That would have been, I know it'd been too much, but it'd been funny. Um, yeah. So, so we end up going back to 1928. We have, uh, we have Ricky playing the piano and he's in like, you know, he's in the shamrock club. It's hopping. And that's whenever, um, we get, that's when we meet Shaughnessy. We meet Mickey, right. Coming up and striking figure. And I also like that they gave him the scar that they don't explain. I thought that was kind of a cool look half Joker kind of scar. Yeah. on his lip, It's really interesting. Yeah. I, and like, and the guy, like he, he kind of has a little bit of like you, he doesn't, he, he's not in the episode very long, but you understand why they cast him. And you also understand like he, from the jump, he has that kind of presence of like, yeah, I run this joint. I'm here for a good time, but uh, I will soon as uh, cut your throat to think twice about it. And that's the vibe we get from him from the jump. Right. It's, it's, it's a big bustling party, but he still has his dudes at a snap of a finger. Yeah. Like, Hey, get over here. I got you. You have to take care of some shit for me. Like that's the kind of guy that Mickey is. Yeah. And then he, he's confused as to why, uh, Ricky's playing the piano. He's like, well, who's the guy I normally hire? And he's like, I don't know. The union sent me. And he's like, Oh, like whatever. And that's when he gets one of these guys like, you know, he's like, go and like talk to so-and-so. I don't want this to happen again. And, um, basically 
he's like, well, like play something a little bit more upbeat. And that's when we also meet the young lady that comes over that turns out we know that's the one because once Ricky puts two and two together, that this is Mickey and the young lady that's there, that's the one that Eddie had fallen in love with. Um, so he starts to kind of do the math and realize like, Oh shit, this is, this is the moment. Like, like this is around the time when everything turns sideways in Eddie's life. Um, and he, um, like there's a, like a little bit of a confrontation and he's kind of being a little, um, like being a bit of a, um, a smart ass or not putting up with, uh, Mickey's shit, his aggressive shit. And he plays ignorance about the, the song that, um, that Mickey is requesting, Right. And because of that, he calls out his ego. So Mickey sits down and he's like, I'll do it. I'll show you how it's done. And in the meantime, he also gets angry right before he sits down. He's like, get this player piano, get this cat house piano out of here. I want a grand piano tomorrow. And you take this piano and you send it off to the state pen for a gift for Eddie. Basically being like, I know how I put there and why. And he'll, he'll find this piano as a reminder as why he's stuck there. I know it's, it's, it's very simple dialogue, but it's a very important part of the story. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like Mickey's a very uh, intelligent dude here, but he's very vindictive, mm-hmm. and uh, and the fact that he he wants something done like that, it just shows that he has some weight too. The fact that he's like, you know, I sent him there, and I'm going to send this thing to there to keep him a, keep you know keep him company to remind <laughs> him that not only did I get him sent to prison, I got his girl, and now it's like. Yeah, you know, like yeah, it's and I'll I'm, play the blues, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> on this perfectly tu- tuned piano. Um, yeah, so then we get uh, we get Mickey playing the, the song right and, and doing a really good job with it. Uh, you know, he's be, like you know he's capable, and that's when we get um, when we get Ricky standing up and let him continue playing, and he's just watching to see what's going to happen next. And that's when the young lady is like asking him to dance, Yeah, they dance. And we get uh we get Mickey like proud of himself, showing off what how good he is. He gets done and, and is expecting accolades. And I like that 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 brief moment of like oh shit what's going on and he just disappears. I thought that was actually played quite well and actually that was shot quite well. Yeah, and actually the the fact that we get them playing the keys at the same time, so there is this transfer. Yes. Of instead of just one stopping it's the transfer of the power is going over to Mickey. Now it's like, it's like Indiana Jones trying to figure out the weight of the idol in the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, try to do that pass. Like, you know, try to grab the idol and leave the sandbag in place to be like, it'll be the same weight. It will be no one notice this piano will not know what happened. Right. So yeah. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. And then that's when we see that Mickey appears now in the prison where the piano is. And where also his good buddy Eddie is as well. <laughs> Just in time for Eddie to see him appear there. And he says, hey, Mickey, O'Shaughnessy, remember me? <laughs> and that's when he's like, no, I have no idea. He's like, yeah, it's your buddy Eddie. He's like, I'm going to show you around. And that's when he punches him in the face. And he lands into the piano, which knocks the piano over and pretty much takes it out of commission at yeah. this point. I don't, I, yeah, I like that. He's like, he's like, like, like you're, he, yeah, he's like, you're exactly where you belong. And let me give you a proper prison. Welcome. And this hits him right in the kisser. Like, <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah. But then he hits that piano and it's like, clearly pianos from that year, that, that day and age were made out of balsa wood. And this thing just collapses. Um, you know, like how many, um, like a uh, little, a uh, little pine wood derby cars. Could you make out of that thing? I don't know. But, um, so, so yeah, the piano is destroyed. Um, Mickey's in the present. Eddie gets his, his comeuppance, but then we cut back to back in time where Ricky's there and uh, the girl's like, Oh, where did Mickey go? He's like, Oh, he said he had to step out for a minute. I'm not sure I'll be back. And she's like, that's just like him. And then it's like, she's like, hey, are you going to be okay? And he's like, you know what? I think I'll be just fine. And he just kind of smiles and leaves. And uh, we never know what happens to Ricky, uh, but wherever he's at a better place than prison. Yeah. It's uh, it, and we fade out on the piano too, which I think is is key because I mean that was almost like an, a char- a character in itself yeah. for this story, so but, like, and yeah. it's like it was yeah it was uh, it was it was interesting. I really I thought it was a really interesting story in a way to um, have uh, time travel without the idea of what time travel is. Like it's just like it's like no, we don't have to get into the mumbo jumbo about. 
you know, here's a machine that I made and some super fancy scientist. The portal is this, this uh, old piano. I thought it was wonderful. I actually really enjoyed this. Yeah. Like I said, my only nitpick is like um, the idea is that before Ricky ends up back in time playing at these three separate times, these, these functions are full swing. That means that there was somebody there before him. So are we doing a quantum leap situation where like, we don't see the switcheroo. Like where are these people going when he goes and takes over playing the piano? Right. Cause he disappears. So I have questions about the three other uh, piano players, but whatever that, that is the smallest of nitpicks. Right. But the logic, it works well enough. Uh, we get two, two character arcs that have payoffs, right? Like we get Eddie right. and Ricky um, that they both have like payoffs for their stories. Um, yeah. Like I said, this feels much in line, like an older episode of the twilight zone. And that's not a bad thing where it's a uh, interesting premise. There is a little bit of a twist and the twist in terms of like, we don't know exactly where it's going and it actually kind of has a happy ending, um, you know, for most people involved. Uh, so I don't know, like this was just, it was a nice palate cleanser after the toys of Caliban. Yeah. I would say after a lot of the different episodes that we've seen that, yeah, um, that's that, fair. you know, that were short and maybe not, not so good. And the story wasn't flushed out well enough. I thought this was a full, uh, a full story. It felt, it felt, uh, like it was complete. Um, you know, it had, it had just the right amount of everything that I wanted out of like, uh, twilight zone episode i it just felt it felt like it, i was at home watching the twilight zone again yeah so. um and i think in the sense of them uh going back down to like a half hour just a single story per half hour which is we're going to get a couple like one or two more i think that are going to be multi-segment half hour episodes but it's just nice to actually let this thing kind of breathe on its own so yeah i i, yeah. I liked it you know i, I and it's it, like it's unfortunate and this is kind of a backhanded compliment that I like this because there, there's been other things that we've seen that have been so much more wobbly and um, not confident. This felt very, very well executed and breezy enough. And it's it's sometimes because like it, it it takes sometimes getting into like some rough patches to realize like writing writing like decent to good television isn't easy, right? So. And I think this one shows that you can still have a, a pretty good middle of the road episode that, you know, that you come, come away with being like, you know what? I like that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's somewhat disappointing that this is the, the last uh, time that we'll be able to see something from Thomas J. Wright. Um, I, I would have uh, enjoyed to see something else, uh, give a little bit more complexity to what his uh, directing would have been for the twilight zone, only having this and toys of Caliban. Um, That's fair. Yeah. You know, it, it would have been nice to see a little bit more. I agree. So, uh, any other, any other notes about this before we get to that twist? No, I couldn't really find any more information. So yeah, let's take it away. All right. Twist rating as always is one through five, meaning one, uh, we saw it coming from a mile away and five meaning mind blowing, uh, twist rating is not indicative of how we feel about the episode, but I want to give it a three that the time loop itself, uh, it actually closed. It followed its own logic. And what I mean by that, when I watched it the second time, when Eddie mentioned that uh, that uh, Mickey went missing shortly after the piano was delivered, I didn't really put that in my brain the first time around, right? And then the second time, I'm like, oh, shit, this actually does kind of complete itself. So, you know, going on it, actually, like, paying off what it was intending to do. Yeah, I wasn't sure what I was in store for, um, this, the, the name of the, the storyline, Fortunately, doesn't give too much away, so I'm going to give it a four. Okay, um, I was yeah, I was pretty I was pretty surprised by some of the stuff that went on in this. Okay, so all right, so that's going to do it for our discussion about the convicts piano. Uh, you, you you all can find us on Facebook at Strange Highways. Uh, I will have images to post again. I I, th I again I hope people understand why I really did want to get into images from uh, Toys of the Caliban or like make goofy posts about it because everybody watched that, that segment, but understand that like, you know, it just, it would have felt bad. I would have felt wrong 
to poke fun at that. But we'll be back up and at it making fun of the convicts piano. <laughs> Especially a, a certain, like, I got an image of the, of the people in the yard and the juggler. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we're there. You can um, uh, email us directly at strangehighwayspodcastgmail.com. Uh, rate, review us wherever you find a podcast. It'd be greatly appreciated. You can send us feedback directly, too, on the Facebook page. Uh, uh, and, Terry, where can people find us otherwise? Uh, we're still on Instagram, folks. Uh, we're still trying to you know, keep up with that as often as possible. Uh, life happens. but And it's the holiday season, so we're a little bit busy here and there. But if you could, please like, follow do all the good stuff that, you know, Instagrammers do uh, as far as, you know, getting our, the word, the good word of our podcast out there because the more is the merrier for us. Yeah, right. So um, I also want to say that in the time away, I did pop up on another show. Uh, I was on uh, Trevor's uh, The Theater of War podcast. You cheater. Good, yeah. How dare you? Yeah, I just, I am... Um, I am a, uh, yeah, I you cheat. You time and hussy. Yeah, I do. Time. Yeah. I, I cheat with all my, I cheat on all my podcast husbands. Um, so, um, yeah, I was in the theater of war, uh, with him. We, uh, we talked about tombstone, the 1993 film, which I, I love a great deal. And we got into the history of the, like of the events surrounding the shootout, at the okay corral, which is really, I mean, we, you know, I know I'm a pinball and I bounce all over the place sometimes with my discussions, but we had a really good talk about leading up to that and then the movie itself. Go check that out. Cedar War, episode 11, uh, Tombstone. Um, yeah, go find that. Trevor's a great guy. I uh, thank him for having me on, so I do appreciate that. So always a good time. That's a great movie. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about what we're uh, doing next. And now, Mr. Serling. Next episode is season two, episode seven, The Road Less Traveled. Um, yeah. I uh, don't know anything about this. I did take a peek on uh, the DVD collection that you and I both have, Terry. There is like eight deleted scenes or something like the special, like there's so many deleted scenes. And I don't know. Cause when we talked about, um, what was it? Um, Oh, the, the, this, the, the thing we just talked about the radio, uh, one, um, the, whatever it was night song, right. How there yeah. was like, like two deleted scenes and it was just like 15 seconds additional dialogue. I'm wondering if these deleted scenes are just like, just, I don't even know. We'll see if there's anything meaningful in like these multiple deleted scenes, but it also looks like there's a commentary track. So looks like some people had something to say about this episode. Hopefully it's a good one. Don't know anything about it. Yeah. We have a certain famous director coming back. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what this turns out to be. Yeah. So that's going to do it for us this week. Everybody, um, you know, uh, heading into the, the, the bigger portion of the holidays, everybody be safe. Uh, don't let, don't let the world stress you out too much. Um, you know, in the meantime, I mean, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I pick the right gang to be in prison. That's not a good lesson. I don't have anything good to say there. <laughs> Keep on practicing that air piano. You don't even look like a cop. I got a parking ticket once. <laughs>